0: Hi, I'm Clara. (laughs) And my husband and I are the pastors of this church. And we're proud to be your pastors. And we're proud about where we're going as a congregation. So Lord, I just thank you so much for you know, shows like this, Lord, that just shake us up. And we see them, Lord, and we see a picture of your bride. And we see a glimpse of your love and we're just overcome Lord if I would just ask for you to come and uh, move our hearts this morning that the things that matter to you Lord would matter to us and we could put aside Lord the things that scream at us this should matter when really it shouldn't Father, as parents, I know sometimes we get so wrapped up in the clean house that we've forgotten about our dirty kids. They need a touch of love and need to be pointed to you. And Lord, sometimes um, we do that at work. We're so consumed with getting things done at work that we forget about the person in the cubicle, Lord. That we know is struggling, but we just don't have time. So, Lord, I pray that you would teach us, Lord, how to be activated out of a heart that is filled with your love. That none of us, Father, would be activated out of guilt or fear. But, Father, just out of the joy of knowing you, and it just flows out. It just consumes us, Lord. We can't even help ourselves. Like people who eat lots of garlic, they smell like garlic. Lord, we would be people that are just so full of you that... You just come out of us. Bless you, Lord. Amen. Wow. We had a corporate prayer this morning, and there was so much of God's spirit there. I think I cried for half an hour of it. And I still got the weepies. (laughs) So hopefully I can pull myself together and move on. Okay, let's ask a question. You guys can talk and that way you can get the heat off of me. The question is <laughs> yuck. <Sorry>. <laughs> what <laughs> what happened as the sisters became less focused on their convent and more focused on the people of the community? Just your turn. Anybody? Jennifer. Okay, the church started to grow. They were happier, they were happier. Susan. The relationship. They developed relationships. They formed relationships and friendships. Yeah. To to the loss started to come to his church. The roof, the roof got fixed. That was nice. The neighborhood was changed. That's good. They got to, there was a lot more joy. Mhm, people start respecting those who were in the church. That's good. Walls came down. The fence came down. Mhm. They showed God's love. They learned to dance. <laughs> that was more important important. oh that is very important Okay, thank you (laughs) that's good yeah they were among the people people, like Jesus was among the people well they say that um, 90% of folks say they believe in God but really right now about 55 to less actually ever go to church because uh, they have a variety of reasons you know uh, i don't know maybe we have bad breath uh you know maybe there are some reasons but we had um a situation here where um you know maybe your neighbor is feeling like they're missing something in life and so there's a video clip here of some folks being asked you know why don't you go to church so clearly some people are not going to church so you, you ready matt Let's see what they got to say to us.
1: I've not found anybody to have anything that I've found worthwhile to convert to. So I I open initially, and I guess I get real disappointed. When people talk about God and all this, they they do all this big excitement stuff, and it's like they want everybody to be just like them but I can't find the meat in there that I need. There's pressure to join the group and they start to be uh, the opposite of what you would call, if you want to say Christian. They're, uh, you know, they become cruel and petty and and it's more like becomes a conformity thing. Everybody's doing it. You got to go and be with everybody. It's a very groupy thing, I think. Oh, I've got to go to church and be at this meeting at 6 o'clock and that meeting at 7 o'clock, and I've got to go with everybody and be with everybody every minute. I personally would love somebody to have something that I found that worked. You know, it would be wonderful. Yeah, I've been waiting. <laughs> Unfortunately, it hasn't worked for me, which which, for me makes me sad.
0: Okay, There's a, um, a pastor named Rick Warren. How many of you have heard of Rick Warren? Okay. What book has he read, written? It's pretty popular. Yeah. Purpose Driven Life. That's right. And um, in his book, he has some really good quotes uh, Four reasons why most people uh, don't go to church. Number one, church services are boring. No, number two, church members are unfriendly to guests. Number three. The church is more interested in my money than in me. And number four, we worry about the quality of the church's childcare. Those are the top four reasons why people don't go to church. And Warren points out that that's not, uh, you'll notice that none of these reasons say anything about God. You know, he rarely meets a person saying, here he quotes, I don't go to church because I don't believe in God. The truth is the people are looking for God, they're looking for an answer, they're looking for fulfillment in life, and the issue is our problem. Now, in Sister Act, we see the nuns coming out of their shells and beginning to go out to the streets and meet, and some of the things that you said became a lot less inward-focused and a lot more more outward-focused involved with their community. Now, not long ago, there was a pastor in the vineyard in Cincinnati that went to a restaurant And uh, to pick up uh, dinner for his family. And while he was there waiting, I mean, it was really cold in that restaurant. And he went to the, the cashier and said, hey, is there some way that you can put up the temperature? It's really cold in here. And the response was, we like it this way. So he tried not to be sarcastic and he said, you know, look at everybody around you. They're like wearing coats. It's kind of cold in here. Do you think you could change the temperature? She looked at him again. She looked at the people in the dining room, looked at him and said, we like it this way. And, you know, that restaurant was known for having pretty good food, pretty good service. But do you think he went back? Because self-absorption was all about, you know, the kitchen crew being comfortable, the hostesses are working and running around being comfortable. They didn't think about the people who they were serving. They they totally forgot about the customer. And sometimes as a church, we can do this. We forget about our guests. We forget about those that are not here yet, about what they need. And we say instead, well, we just like it like this. Now, Jesus took a really radical different approach. And in order for a restaurant or a church to make it, and I'm not comparing ourselves to a restaurant, but we have to be servant thoughtful. We have to be a servant culture that has to be a part of who we are as Christians and followers of Christ. And this means allowing Jesus to change us, to give us another kind of focus than that which we've had and to be able to express the warmth and the love of Jesus. Now, what is the difference between a party and a funeral? It's your turn. Pardon? The attitude of the people, okay? The focus, okay. A funeral focus is different than a party focus. Like what? What's the focus on the party? Celebrate. Celebrate, happy, okay? Pardon? Okay, you get dressed up like dogs and wear funny hats. Okay, what else? What are some differences between a funeral and a party? I mean, do you like going to funerals? No. 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 I don't. I wouldn't even like going to Hitler's funeral because I was alive at the time that, you know, he, he wasn't found. But if he were found, you know what I mean? I wouldn't, wouldn't like doing that. Okay, do you like going to parties? Sometimes. Some of them are really no good. Some of them are really great. Okay, the good news is that Jesus likes to disrupt Funerals. He shows up and funerals seem to change. Same with church. He likes to show up at church and he likes to change us and shake us up. Now let's turn to our Bibles. Luke chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 12 through 17. Primarily, and then we're going to look from another scripture, but we'll catch some thoughts from this passage. Luke chapter 7, verses 12 to 17. Now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearer came to a halt, and he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. This report concerning him went out all over Judea and in all the surrounding district. Now, you know, everybody encounters losses in life. The death of a loved one, the destruction of a marriage, A broken relationship, a lost job, bankruptcy, the stock marketing going down. The gospel of Jesus Christ awesomely comes to us as good news. And he connects with our bad news when he shows up. When our life's going well, uninterrupted by hardships and pain, it seems there's really little need about a savior. But when we're hurting and things are difficult, We seek for a higher source. Now, I do a lot of marriage counseling, and I rarely get a couple that asks to meet with me when things are doing well. She just don't do that. They come because they're in crises. And hopefully, through the coaching and the hard work and the commitment between them to work hard, they leave uh, eventually feeling, you know, after a series of weeks, like, wow, this has been so helpful. Thank you. And, you know, we see here in this situation that the widow of Nain has to meet up with Jesus right in the midst of her crises. And really, by the time she was done with Jesus, there's a scripture in Psalm 3011 that says, You have turned my mourning into dancing. And that is basically part of our good news. When a person contacts Jesus, a lot of the stuff that they're suffering seems so minimal to -to face-to-face interaction with Jesus Christ. And in the midst of our troubles, we experience a joy that is just phenomenal. And as Christians, we're going to have troubles. And then Jesus shows up in our life. And he makes our funerals into celebration. And he gives us life. And it's the wonderful message that we have. That we have a God who cares, a God who's there, a God to cheer us, a God who says, I know what you're going through. I've been there with you. And I'm with you now. And I can help you, even in the midst of your circumstances, to experience a joy and a hope that is just amazing. And this is not a boring message, nor is it irrelevant. You know, some of the videos of the folks saying, you know, this seems really, you know, I don't like people stuffing stuff down my throat and making me, you know, feel this way. But, you know, as Christians, we have a gospel that is packaged in such a beautiful way by Christ that, you know, we can give hope to a hurting couple or a hurting neighbor. Now, when Randy and I were in England, we were there in 1989, 86. Some of you weren't born. Most of you were not born yet. But we were alive and we had three kids even. And we went to England on a ministry uh, trip and we were part of John Wimber's uh, ministry team. There were a hundred of us who were trained to minister to folks. And in one of the uh, arenas that he was teaching uh, at a conference center in Brighton, There were thousands of people there, and us 100 had to minister. You know, there would be words and the move of God, and we had to minister to those folks. There's no way they could all come forward and get ministered to, so we ministered healing to these folks. Then after that uh, week of doing that with John, then we were sent out to little parishes, that means like a little church, into groups of 10 or 20. And we would teach and minister in smaller settings, folks. And one night, Randy was uh, teaching a crowd of 300 and 400. And up to that point, that was the largest crowd that Randy had ever had an opportunity to preach. And here's this young preacher preaching away about the gifts of the spirit. And suddenly, a woman from the second row jumps up and screams up and says, Malcolm, 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 he's dead, he's dead, Malcolm, Malcolm. And she jumps up on the stage shouting, Malcolm, Malcolm is dead. And, you know, um, I, part of my training to go there was, you're going to heal the sick, cast out demons, and raise the dead. Okay? The first week, I had healed the sick, and I had cast out a lot of demons. So I was waiting for part three. So I was sitting along where Cindy McBride is sitting. Wave your hand, Cindy. And imagine that the woman's here on stage and her husband slumped on the floor there. I jumped up, and what went through my head was, hot dog, this is my chance. And I zoomed over there. There was a nurse that was there taking his pulse, and she's shaking her head, saying, he's gone. And I landed my hands on him, and there were a few other people did. We began to pray in the spirit, and this gentleman, his eyes opened up. And by then, the paramedics had come. It took a little while. The paramedics came. They grabbed him and took him out. Well, you can imagine that that service was completely disrupted. I mean, it was just chaotic because nobody knew what had happened to him. All they saw was some people hovering around them and then the paramedic taking them out conveniently. They all figured that he was gone. Now the next day we get a letter that sent to the the pastor, they're called they're not called pastors there, they're called rectors or something. What? Vicars? Sounds like a drink. Anyway, so the vicar <laughs> uh, has this letter and in the letter he says, you know, dear pastor and congregation I decided not to come to church today because I was concerned that my presence might cause uh, chaos. And I didn't want to disrupt the teaching. And it was a letter written by Malcolm. And they had taken him to the hospital. They did full-on testing of his heart and everything. And they found that even a condition he had had of a heart murmur had been healed completely. And so he was completely healed but felt hesitant to come to the church because he felt he would cause an uproar and disrupt the orderliness of a church service. Well, you can imagine that that funeral turned into a party. And that service was craziness. With God healing people, people uh, recommitting their lives to Christ. It was a wonderful time. And that's the kind of Jesus we serve. And that's the kind of Jesus that wants to enter into your life and walk with you wherever you are. We have people that work in medicine, people that work in banks, people who work in construction and school, all kinds of careers here. And God wants to show up like that. In John 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, the thief have any of you experienced him? Has anything been robbed from you or stolen from you or killed in you? That is the work of the thief. And so Jesus says, I have an antidote because when I come along, I give abundant life. Now, the word abundant life in the Greek is pariso. And what it means is full of overflowing, exceedingly full, overflowing. In a nutshell, Jesus is saying, I can pour out so much in you It doesn't matter what's going on around you, it's going to start flowing out, overflowing out of you. And in the times of Jesus, this was very needed and definitely with this widow. Now, when you were a widow back then, it was really bad. Unless, of course, you had children, a male son that was going to inherit the father's estate and he would take care of you. So you can understand that in her situation, this widow was in a really bad state. Not only was she grieving still the loss of her husband, but now the loss of her only son. And now the loss of provision. And she was going to be at the mercy of maybe a family member that might take her in. That Okay, well, yeah, we're obligated to take care of her. Yeah, I guess we're going to have to do that. So she was, you know, just grieving a multitude of things in great depth. And in verse 12, it says um, that describes the corpse as a man and her only son. Every resource was gone. Her insurance plans, her retirement plan, her disability plans, everything was wrapped up in that coffin. Now, in Ephesians chapter 320, it says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. And there's that word again, overflowing beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Now, can you imagine being that widow and you're waking up that morning, know you were going to go through a funeral for your only son? What kinds of prayers do you think she prayed? I think she prayed, oh, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me in my old age? What am I going to do? Who's going to take care of me? Where do I go from here? Why did this happen? Do you think she was asking God to raise her son from the dead? No, I I really don't think she was. And this is the promise of that scripture. Beyond more that you can imagine or think. That is the kind of God that enters into our brokenness. So when Jesus comes by and tells her son to get up, not only was she given back her son. Not only was she given back provision again and a home. But she was given the most phenomenal thing that any person ever gets in this life. And that is an intimate understanding of the resurrection power and love of Jesus Christ. And so, you know what? Eventually, that kid's going to die. Maybe she died first. Maybe she didn't. But the second time he died, I think she would have felt a lot different. Because now she understood the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, you know, maybe she wasn't at the cross And maybe she wasn't at the tomb three days later. But when the rumor starts going around Judea and around Nain, you bet she said, I know who that was. And I've experienced that kind of resurrection. And I know it is true. And when we've experienced that kind of resurrection understanding of Jesus Christ, it makes a total difference in our life and how we live. And so for those of us who've come to the cross and have experienced the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, where he's transformed us, we understand, oh, God, I'm yours. We cannot walk away from that cross ever the same. And it interrupts our life as we live. As we live our life and we're, you know, the stock market is going down, the resurrection power can come and interrupt how we experience life. It's not just the cross. The cross goes with you. You know, Malcolm probably died because he was in his late 60s when we were there in the mid-80s. And the folks that we pray for that might be raised from the dead, I've experienced that three times in my life. Eventually, those people are going to die. But I have a promise in the resurrection. And so did this great widow. And the kind of joy that she experienced when she got back her son... That funeral got changed into a party. And are we as Christians experiencing that level of partiness, that level of fullness, of overflowing? In John 4, verses 3 to 15, it says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up To eternal life. Now, there's three key ideas in this passage. And this is another passage in the first one we're looking at. And first of all, we see a woman. um, Well, I didn't read the context. But the woman is a woman who is going to the well to get water. And so that's why Jesus says, okay, she's into water. I'll use water. Okay? If somebody's into guns, figure out how to talk the gospel through guns. Okay? You know, just figure it out. But the issue is that for her to be fulfilled, she needed a man. She'd been married five times. And the man that she was living with now was not her husband. Okay? So now we know what she's into and what she has put in the blank. This will fulfill me, a man. Secondly, we can see that she's looking for fulfillment. Now for you or for somebody else you're talking to, it may be the perfect house, the perfect job, the perfect car. You name it, the perfect whatever. But here Jesus says, okay, I see what you're into, but let me offer myself. Let me use the guns, let me use the water, let me use the car, the house, whatever it is that you think is going to give you fulfillment, and let me show up and show you where will fulfillment comes. And so he offers to her, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring, a water welling up to eternal life. Now, I don't think that Jesus understood that because, you know what? A lot of theologians have broken down that passage so many times. And they've gotten a lot of deep, deep thoughts out of that passage. And I'm not sure she got it all, but she knew this is no brainer. I'm taking what he's offering. In the message, the paraphrase is this, I like it, gushing fountains of endless life. That's what Jesus promises her, inflow and outflow, inflow and outflow. And then Jesus turns to the well and helps her to understand a self-focused, trying to fulfill that blank is not going to make it. And so what she does is great. She becomes actually the first female evangelist. That's what she is. In verses 28 through 30 and then 39, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And then later in verse 39, John records that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So when we encounter Jesus, the real Jesus, something changes. We get a lot less self-focused and a lot connected to Jesus and things happen. Now, if I told you that I had in my back pocket $5,000 and I want to give it to somebody who really needs it, whose name's the first one that you think of? Now, let's be honest. Some of you would have said me. But some of you thought of somebody else in need. Now, those of you who said, me, do you think Jesus is surprised by that? No way. He knows exactly where you're at. And he wants to provide you. There's no shame in that. I have good news. He understands our humanness. And that's why he bothers to stop and to live in our lives, to fill us up so that we have something to give. Now, if you get nothing else about today... I want you to get this. He doesn't expect you to give before you are filled. And so, you know, as we go into this series about outflow, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I hate that E word. I hate that E word for six weeks. You know what? Let's plan our vacation during this series, honey. Uh, I want to work in the children's ministries. Anything, not the E word. And you know what? God is going to fill you up first. Because he can't squeeze anything out of you if you're empty and dry. It's okay to feel inadequate. It's okay to understand that we need to be filled up by Jesus first. You're in good company. The apostles were like that. After three years of being filled up by Jesus, where were they at the time of the cross? Most of them. They were hiding. So Jesus knows how inadequate... And how wimpy we are because he chose 12 very wimpy people to pass the word along. And when things changed was when the Holy Spirit showed up and they got filled up. And then we saw what people look like when they're being filled by Jesus and his power. None of us has the power to witness on our own. I can't shame you enough. I don't want to shame you. I don't want to put guilt on you or fear on you. You know, a lot of other religions. Jehovah Witnesses, and even Mormonism, a lot of those religions have a lot to do about doing. And in Christianity, it's about done. Now, that sounds like a really clatchy click, you know, phrase. I didn't make that up. That was hybels from one of his things. But it, that's the deal. It's not about doing. It's about done when we come to Jesus. So now I want to um, just talk a little bit, another verse, and then we'll move on from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, and that's an abbreviated name or title for the Acts of the Apostles through the Holy Spirit. And in that story, where we see these wimpy apostles beginning to get filled up in some of the acts that they did, and once they were filled, they were able to do and be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So if there's no power, probably it's been a while since you've had the Holy Spirit fill you up. And you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, do you believe that that promise was supposed to mean just the 12? No. No. So does it mean for us? Absolutely, it means for us. So if it's just, if it's for us, then we can imagine that we could show up at a funeral and it could change into a party. We could show up at work where everybody's grumbling about the government. And we could be Jesus right in the midst of that place and love these folks. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, God describes the pattern that he's going to use to flow into us so that we can flow out to the world. Now, um, two years ago, uh, Randy and the kids got together and put all their money together, and, and they got me for uh, Christmas a four-tier wall fountain. It's what I really, really wanted, but it was way out of budget. And, you know, the kids always know when they've bought the right gift for mom or given her the right card. Boy. Why? Absolutely. So I guess your mom does that, too? <laughs> All right. I bawled. Okay, when I got the box, it was very heavy, and I thought, oh, these guys are so tricky. They put a brick in this box. It's probably something really little, like a gift card or something. I don't know. But when I saw the sprout, you know, it's like the little nozzle on the top, I was a little confused because first I, I'm like, wow. And then I'm like, oh. And so that's when the tears came out. Now, next week, um, we're going to use this illustration of the fountain throughout this series um, because it's a really good picture of what's going to happen to us and the process that God uses for us to flow out. Now, next week, I'm going to talk about the ins and outs of having an authentic relationship with Jesus. It's going to be a great message. Even if you've been a follower for a long time, you're not going to want to miss it. If you know anybody that even remotely is interested in knowing God, and apparently there's a lot of them out there, invite anyone you want to see draw closer to God to next week's service. That's the first tier, the ins and out. It's our relationship with Jesus. That's the first, the sprout. Then the second tier, the fountain represents Judea. Relationships with family and friends. Now in the New Testament, Judea represented areas that they would have walked to and been accustomed and, and accustomed to. And this may be a little bit more scary for y'all, having to outflow in your home if there's antagonistic people in your home. I was raised in a family that was very antagonistic to Christianity. So when I became a Christian, it was not a place of refuge. My refuge was the church. And then the third tier represents Samaria, the community around us, especially people who don't look like you, believe or act like you do. In the days of the apostles, the Jews avoided the land of Samaria. Uh, If they were going to go somewhere between here and, you know, point A and point B, and Samaria was in the middle, they would actually go around. Makes no sense. You know, you and I know a straight line is the the, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. I guess they didn't take uh, basic geometry back then because they would go around the circumference. And anyway, we're gonna, in the third week, we'll be exploring how to reach out to the community, to people like the woman in that video clip, that just wants a real relationship with people, that distrust us, and have been told things that are not true. You know, uh, one time I was talking to a gal, she was not a believer, and I asked her, well, why don't you go to church? And, uh, she didn't know I was a pastor, so, she knew she could talk, honestly, because I was being nice with her and stuff. And she said, "Well, because they're all full of hypocrites." Wow, what, what have you experienced where that happened? That makes me really sad. Well, no, I, I haven't. My mom says they're full of hypocrites, and you know that happens a lot, y'all. When we watch movies, and the people who should be good, which are the religious folks, are p- portrayed as being conniving and, gel- uh, you know, lustful and greedy and domineering and controlling. You know, people walk out of that theater and go, yeah, that's the way Christians are. That's, that's the way pastors are. That's the way the church is. And they may not even have experienced that level of horridness, a bad example, but they walk around believing that. So, anyway, where was I? The base of the fountain represents the ultimate destination, the ends of the earth, and we'll talk about that on the final week of the series. Now, you don't have to remember all this because we're going to go through this week by week, um, but... That's where we're headed. Now, last verse, and then we're about done here. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. John wrote, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Now, if you came this morning thinking, I'm kind of thirsty. I'm kind of hungry for God. Then you're in a good place, because God makes an invitation to you. I want to fill you up. I want to give you. And that's what the Scripture's talking about. Now, it doesn't matter if you've been seeking God for a long time or have known Him for a long time. We come to places where we're really dry and really thirsty. And you're thinking, you know, I just want to go to church where everything's about me. Because, you know, you're in that place. You're in that really broken, dried-up place. And God knows that. So he's going to come today. He's going to come because we've been inviting him. The corporate prayer invited him to come here this morning to fill you up. And Jesus says, here I am. Come. Let me fill you up. Let me wash away your sins. Let me heal you where people have disappointed you. Come. Now, I would like for... um they're going to put a prayer up on the thing. Thank you. And this is a good beginning prayer. I'm going to let you read it first before we actually give you an opportunity to say So you're like, what am I committing to? $100,000 for the next 10 years? Mm-mm. You're committing yourself to somebody who can love you like no woman or man could ever love you. You're committing to somebody who has a bank account that had no dent after the stock market crashed. You're committing yourself to somebody who has so much resources and networking that when you go home, there could be something in your mailbox that no way could be there unless God put it in there. Okay? That's what you're committing to. So let's let's bow our heads and let's... I'll say the prayer, and if you feel like saying it, then say it after me, okay? Jesus, here I am. Come into my heart right now. And fill me up with your living water. Wash away my sins. And make your life flow out through me. Now, if you pray that prayer, you can raise your head now. For the first time, the fifth time, the 20th time, 100th time. Do you think he's facing you right now? He is facing you. And he wants to fill you up. So once you put your hands out, if your first time saying that, then you're going to start experiencing what it feels like to have a power of God come on you. If you prayed it a 100 times, and you need to be filled up to let them. Come Holy Spirit. Just fill your church. Fill your people Lord. They come thirsty and hungry. Needing a touch. They come Father. Wanting to know. I don't like what I think is going to bring me fulfillment. It's not looking too good. I would really like to put you in that blank. And I just fill them up. Touch them. And, Father, just pray, Father, they would experience you throughout the week, your touch, your intervention. The Father faces would lift up in the midst of whatever is going on and say, there is a God and that God is love. The Spirit and the bride says, come. And do you know who the bride is? It's us. The church is the bride of Christ. And so, Jesus, I pray now that you would move us to that place where we're on the same chorus as you. When you say come, we'll be right there with you, Lord, saying come. When you say go, we'll be right there with you. We'll say go. And, Lord, we would like to see a party happen. We'd like you to show up. Amen. Okay, now, um, for the next few weeks, we're going to do a lot of uh, things that may seem a little bit different for you, but it's not going to be scary initially. And you're going to gain more and more excitement and bravery and all that because you're going to find yourself wanting to be more and more like Jesus. And on November the 16th, we're going to have a community party uh, at the Raymond Rumkus Park, which is on Posse and Evers. So this information is on your program. And uh, the people who are going to be invited are the people that we've been inviting throughout this series. And they're gonna, we're going to have a party. We're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, we've already rented a Spider-Man move bounce. And we've rented the large pavilion. We're going to have food and games. And it's going to be a lot, a lot of fun, prizes, all that kind of stuff. And you're going to notice that up here, are balloons. And the reason why the balloon's not taking off is because on the bottom is an invitation to that party and attached to the back is a quarter. Okay? So, you know, kids like balloons, people like balloons, but they really like money. (laughs) Okay? So I probably would read it knowing that there was a quarter back there that you were giving to me. Okay? There's 80 of them up here. So some of you are going to be so brave you're going to want to take two. Some of you will take one. If you have kids, then take one for each of the kids, but train your children how to give them away. Okay, it's not for them to keep. If they're going to cry about it, then I don't know what to say. I guess they're kind of like an adult, I guess. I don't want to give that up, God. Okay, so anyway, so this, I'm going to give you some suggestions on how to get rid of these. Uh, You can go to Taco Bell. Those of you in big budget, go to Taco Bell drive-through. Don't order anything but uh, uh, something really cheap that you can afford because you're going to pay for the person's car behind you. Okay, so you get get to the person, the cashier, and you say, "Okay, uh, okay, so my thing is a uh, dollar. Okay, cool. I also want to pay for the people behind me because by then they already know what it is. Oh, okay, came down to ten dollars and thirteen cents. Like, whew. okay, I got it. I can cover that." Okay, you pay for it, and you give the balloon to the cashier, and you say, okay, when you come through and they're going to give you the money, I want you to give them this invitation, and tell them that the person in front of them paid for their lunch and want them to come to a party that they're having. Real simple. Not very threatening, just need a little money. So fast if you only have enough for you. And pray that the people behind you is not a family of 16. Okay, let's try another one. Maybe you go to another restaurant. And Taco Bell's not your level of eating. You go somewhere else. You're going to leave a very large tip. How about thirty percent? And when you go to leave the tip, make sure you got cash because when you do credit card, they often don't know who's attached to. Okay, so you're going to have to have cash. Okay, so you have ten dollars in your your pocket and go somewhere, spend seven dollars. That would be a hundred percent more. Whatever. And then hand them the tip and hand them invitation. Now you're thinking, well, this is kind of conniving. Hey, be as innocent as does but shrewd as serpents. Okay? Because we are going to have a party on November the sixteenth. They're going to have a lot of fun and they're going to find out that church and church people are awesome people. Okay, i me give you another idea. Those of you who are afraid or bankrupt. I got another idea. See, I'm sick of all of you. So you take the balloon, and you go to your neighborhood, and you get there, and you pray. Lord, who do you want me to give this balloon to? Walk on the streets and pray. Lord, just show me. I really want to have favor. We want to have favor. And then, you know what? This house looks like it needs a balloon. <laughs> Tie the balloon to the mailbox. Okay? So it's got to have a neighborhood with the mailbox. Okay? So if yours doesn't have that, you just have the big thing, then find another under- neighborhood. Tie it to the mailbox or to the doorknob. If you're really brave, the doorknob. If they have dogs, don't do the doorknob. And walk away. Okay, let me do one more, and then I think you get the idea. You can go to the market and have a shopping cart and one of these and wait for a family that has a kid. And when you see the family with the kids, hey, would your kid like a free balloon? Oh, no of you. Okay, here's a balloon, but there's also an invitation for your whole family. We're going to have a community party. We would love for you to do this. And look, there's a quarterback there. Have a good day. Okay? Does that seem too crazy? Okay, so figure out what you're going to do. But you're all going to take one. Some of you are going to take two, all right? All right. And every week we're going to do some fun things like that. And before you know it, you're going to be What's it called? Hooked. All right. Now, you're going to notice that there's some Bibles here in the front, and then we also have some brand-new Bibles in the back. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, we're going to start providing. Not that, you know, if you've got one at home, don't take one, okay? If you don't have a Bible and you want a Bible, then I want you to come pick up a Bible. If you have prayed to receive Jesus for the first time when we did that prayer, then I want you to come up and get a Bible so I can pray for you some more, okay? And all of you that do this balloon thing, I want you to uh, remember what happened. And my email and phone number are in the fine news. Call me. Drop me a line and tell me what you did and how much fun it was or how scary it was or how I blew up on your face. Whatever it is, because i like to share some of those testimonies next week. Okay? All righty. Service is done, but the party's just started. So we're gonna start, with you guys come on up and take as many balloons you want. And you're gonna be blessed. And, uh, if anybody needs more service, uh, time, ministry time, then you can come on up here and there'll be folks who will pray for you. We love you. Have a good, good week.